Kendra Winchester here with Autumn Privet, and this is Reading Women, a podcast where we are reclaiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And today we're interviewing Natalia Sylvester, the author of Everyone Knows You Go Home, which is out now from Little A Publishing. Hi, Kendra. So excited to talk about this book. Yes, it is such an amazing book. And for whatever reason, I haven't seen it floating around very many places. I might have seen it a few places earlier this year, but yeah, definitely has not gotten, I think, the attention it deserves. And Natalia is such a beautiful writer, and the story that she's telling, I think, is especially so important for now. I mean, it's been very relevant for a long time in America's history, but especially now. I think so, and I only read it a couple weeks ago, and I walked away from it with just such a better understanding and perspective on the topic of immigration. Yeah, Natalia is such a great communicator, and the book starts out with a wedding on the Day of the Dead, uh, which is actually around the time we recorded the interview with Natalia, and so it was just a really cool full circle kind of story. Definitely. And she was such a delight to talk to, both about her process and why she wrote the book and some of the themes that are in it. It was really just, we had a great time. So gracious and so kind. Uh, So without further ado, here's our interview with Natalia Sylvester. Well, welcome to the podcast, Natalia. We're excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. We, Kendra and I found out about your book at the Decatur Book Festival in Decatur, Georgia, and we were so excited to hear you talk on your panel, and we both left the panel and immediately picked up a copy and just loved every <laughs> minute of it. Oh, that, that means so much to me, and it was really awesome to me either. I was so excited that, like, when you came up to say hi afterwards. I was like, oh my goodness. It's just cool, like, having kind of been, you know, followed you online and then just meeting in person. It kind of never gets old. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I was really excited to meet you as well. And we had fo- I followed your work and it came out in March, I think. So, yeah, and you recently won an International Latino Award for Everyone Knows You Go Home. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I did. It, um, it won um, Best Fiction Book. And like uh, like best Latino focused book, I think it was the name of the category. And so that was really exciting for me. They had a ceremony in LA, and we went to like I went with my husband. Um, we kind of made a little weekend out of it, and I went to accept the award. And it was really thrilling because they're doing a lot to just you know um, recognize all the different works within the Latinx community. Um, so it meant a lot. That's really exciting. Well, congratulations for that and very well deserved. Thank you. Thank you. Well, and before we get too far ahead of ourselves, though, for our listeners who haven't read your book yet, um, how would, could you tell us a little bit about what Everyone Knows You Go Home is about? Sure. Um, so Everyone Knows You Go Home starts on the wedding day of Isabel and Martin. Um, they're married on the Day of the Dead. And they're visited on that day by the spirit of Martin's father, who is, so it's Isabel's new father-in-law. And the tradition of Day of the Dead is, is this idea that um, your, your spirit, the spirits of your loved ones come and visit you on earth um, for that one day. And so I was actually married on the Day of the Dead, and I hadn't given much, um, you know, usually when you plan a wedding, they just give you a date. Like the venue's like, hey, here's the date. 
years later, I, I started thinking, like, well, what would happen if you're visited by the spirit of a loved one on your wedding day, and not just on your wedding day, but on every anniversary that follows? So that's what happens in Isabel and Martin's case, except that Omar, who's the spirit of, who is Martin's father, he is not welcome in the family. He's actually been estranged from his family for years, and um, and nobody will speak to him except for Isabel. Isabel and Omar develop a very special bond, and she's trying to figure out why he keeps coming back on every one of her anniversaries. And in the meantime, her and Martin, their their nephew, crosses the border from Mexico into Texas, which is where they live. They live in South Texas, just a few miles from the border. And he crosses the border alone, needing a home. And so they are suddenly raising a teenager on their own, as newlyweds, and Isabel's trying to figure out how these two crossings, both the, you know, the spiritual crossing of her father-in-law and the physical crossing of her nephew, might somehow be linked. And I, I just thought that the Day of the Dead opening wedding scene was such a stellar way to open the novel. Um, and you mentioned that you got married on the Day of the Dead. Is that originally what inspired the story, or is there more behind the way that your this novel got started? I mean, it did start that way, like, in terms of the question. Like, I, I like to think that sometimes the story starts with a what-if. And so it started out as a what-if, but I, th- I would say that's probably what fueled, um, you know, just the beginnings of writing a story, but there's so much different kinds of motivations and momentum that it takes to write a whole novel. And I think that what really sustained the book was when that what if evolved into more of an an exploration of um, what it means to leave one home in place of another and, um, you know, what it means when there are all these in-between spaces that as someone who is immigrating uh, kind of you you get a little caught in and maybe you find pieces of yourself in that, but maybe also lose pieces of yourself in the in-between space. So that for me became one of the biggest questions in the book because, you know, Omar leaves his family in the book and that's something that's not a spoiler, <laughs> but, um, but he leaves them and he, he leaves them even though he loves them deeply. And for me, like when I look at my parents who, left their country when I was four, you know, they took, you know, they took me and my sister and we came to the U S from Peru. And I've always looked back and wondered like, what would it take for you to leave a country, a life, a home, you know, family, friends that you know and love and in search of a new life. And so that kind of question for me ended up getting answered in some ways through Omar and Alba's love story, which was an unexpected way for me to explore it, but it made sense once I had finished it. For sure. And home is such a central theme in this book. And then, you know, it's even echoed in the title, Everyone Knows You Go Home. Was that always the title that you had for it? Or did you have another title in mind as you were writing it? I did. Well, so, I mean, admittedly, I have terrible, I I never have good ideas for titles. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I remember, like, I saved, when I saved the very first raft of the book I think I had named it something like oh my god what was the name it was something terrible I recently stumbled upon it and I had forgotten that that's what it was oh no I had titled it undying like so dramatic (laughs) (laughs) which I feel like it sounds very like you know speculative um, like 
kind of paranormal or something, which I think yeah. is really funny, um, which is not, it, it was really in the tone of the, of the book. You know, it's really more um, the, the fact that he's a spirit is not treated as anything very extraordinary. Um, it's not the most interesting question to me. Like, how did that happen? It's more, why is he here? But yeah, no, eventually the book sold as everyone carries their own water. And, mm. um, and then, because that's a line in the book, um, it's something that somebody, like a character says. And when the editor sent, he, sent me her first notes, she highlighted this other line. And she said, I think this should be your title. And I was like, oh, my God, you're right. And so I changed it to that. And I'm so happy she suggested that because it, it really felt like it captured what I was trying to get at. Yeah. And I remember hearing the title and it was like, oh, this is an interesting title. Like, I, I wonder how this works with the narrative. And then um, Martin and Isabel's nephew says, well, everyone knows you go home. And I was like, oh, it clicks, you know, like <laughs> this is this is it. And without spoilers, I feel like it definitely, yes, it is a great title for the book and the communication that the meaning that you're trying to communicate with, with the story. Thank you. It's always interesting trying to dance around spoilers. <laughs> I know. <laughs> in interviews. I know. So I mentioned earlier how I really enjoyed the beginning of the novel where Omar appears uh, to Martin and Isabel. And uh, it, it's just a beautiful moment of magical realism. And I really loved how that's it, just this one aspect. You don't poke it or try to create this entire mythology. It's just this thing that happens. And I feel like it's just the definition of magical realism. We kind of toss it around now with, for meanings that aren't actually magical realism. Uh, but I feel like this is such a great example of that. So did you always just intend to have this aspect of magical realism and just call it quits there? Or did you ever think about adding other aspects of magical realism into the story? Oh, you know, what's funny is that I didn't consider it quite magical realism because even though like I mean I like I I would definitely say some of my favorite writers you know write write magical realism but for me the very crucial difference is that most like traditionally in magical realism the fantastical element is just so fantastical as to mirror the ridiculousness or absurdity of real life right um but in this case this is this is a cultural tradition and it's it's day of the dead in a very literal sense. And the idea that like, that your spirits are with you is not something that felt very fantastical to me at all. And it's, it's something that like in many, in, like in my culture and many Latinx cultures, it's actually quite natural. You know, it's like, yeah, this idea that your that your spirit, that the spirits of your loved ones are always with you. I, you know, people say that all the time and I can definitely see it, but it was something that I was, I was writing it. Um, and even now I don't know, I don't see it as quite magical realism. I, I can see how it's treated in a similar way. Yeah. It's kind of like nonchalantly put in there. Like nobody expresses shock about it. Right. Um, and nobody, like the point of the book isn't to figure out, you know, how he's there or anything. But I think that that slight difference of, well, this is actually something that's very real to a lot of people, to like, to, to many cultures. And so I kind of wanted to honor that in that sense. And that's what kind of, for me, to kind of separate it ultimately. I appreciate your answer. And I, I see the, the cultural origins and different things and uh, respecting that. And as, you know, someone who that's not part of my culture, I appreciate you explaining that and describing that in that way. Because as you're talking about it, I think over the course of the novel, as Omar appears to Isabel over the years, you can definitely see 
her relating to him and relating to her own father in that way and feeling that her father's still with her and, and wondering why her husband doesn't want to talk yeah. to his father. And he's her husband can't see Omar after the first year for various reasons. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was just well played throughout the story. Thank you. Thank you. That, that became so important to me, just that they would have this very special bond. Um, because I, I think sometimes you, when you go into writing a story, you might not know everything about it, right? But you have certain things you want to explore. And for me, like, one of the things I knew I really wanted to explore was what kind of bond would form from a visit like this, like a yearly, a yearly visit from the spirit of of, of a loved one. Um, and what, what surprised me in the end was that nobody else wanted to talk to him <laughs> except for Isabel. Um, mm-hmm. But then the more I wrote it, actually, I thought, oh my God, this makes sense to me because I'm also writing an immigration story. And Omar has taken this really long and difficult journey only, be, only to be turned away by those who he thought would welcome him the most. And that felt really, it, it was something I could really relate to. For sure. As Kendra mentioned, uh, Omar can only appear to people who choose to remember him. And memory, and like the thought of memory, seemed to be a really prominent theme in the book. Like even how Omar's children and his wife remember him, and how Isabel is trying to reconcile that with her, with what Omar is telling her about his life. When did you realize memory was like becoming a theme in the book? Like, was it a conscious decision or did it just like come out of as you were telling these character stories? Like, what did that look like? I mean, it definitely emerged, but it's, it, it emerged so quickly. And it wasn't entirely surprising because I've always been obsessed with memory and it always comes out in my writing. And so oftentimes when I think I'm writing about something else, I find my way back to it and I'm like, oh, there you are. <laughs> you know, but but I'm just so fascinated. And I think this, like, to me, even ever since I was a little girl, I would be really fascinated by memory and the, the fact that it's really all we have at the end of the day because of the way time happens, right? Um, and and it made me really sad. Um, I remember being, like, nine or ten, and, like, I went through, like, these, like, months of kind of, I, I don't know, like, I guess probably, like, existential depression of realizing, like, this moment has already passed, and yet it felt so vivid, you know? <laughs> like, um, so, I, so now I'm not as depressed by it, but I have kind of come to this peace with it. And, and this I, But what fascinates me about memory is how different each person's memory of the same thing can be and how we remember. Um, and then how, and the things that we try to forget and how we can choose to forget, but oftentimes we don't even have the choice in what we do and don't remember. One of the things I really found myself examining throughout the book was was this memory because uh, Omar isn't, we might not see them straightforwardly, but we know that Omar is not the only person visiting his family on the Day of the Dead. We see other people visiting and, and that memory, what that is. And when you looked at the different scenes from the different families' perspectives, you could see how there was a lot of miscommunication um, and how, like, Martin remembers this one childhood memory a certain way, but then Omar visits 
Isabel and tells, well, actually, this was what was going on. And then we revisit that scene again later in the book when we find out what actually was going on yeah. uh, from a different perspective. And you just reworking the same scene. But it didn't feel like it was repetitive. It was more just you get more information each time. And then you understand slowly but surely why the family views Omar in the way they do and why he's so desperate to talk to them. And you maintain the tension of that very well throughout um, the book. Thank you. That that means a lot. That was another, that was one of those interesting surprises too, that eventually um, at a certain point in the writing, I realized I was writing in circles, but not necessarily in a bad way. <laughs> like not in this like, lost circle kind of way, but in, in terms of that the stories are coming full circle and, um, and that we were returning to certain moments but with new perspective. And that was something that was really important to me. We haven't really talked about this part of it yet, but I, I felt like I saw that circle too. in the fact that there's like two timelines in the book, like, which I don't know if we've actually specifically said at this oh, point, yeah. um, but it's like, so there's like this plot line in, or this plot line in the 1980s where Omar and his family are crossing the border. And then present day, Isabel and Martin, um, so as far as like talking about you layering this narrative, and I love the layers that that structure brings to the to the story. Like, um, why did you decide to structure the book from these two different perspectives? Yeah. Oh, I love that question. Um, I think it's because when I first started writing it, I actually started writing it in the way that it's presently structured, and by and by that I mean like I would write one chapter in the present day, and then. I would think to myself, like, oh, okay, so what has gone on in their past? Because I feel like in order to understand a character's present, you really need to dig into their past and you need to have understood, you need to understand what had happened. So I started writing it in this very back and forth kind of way and it wasn't working. Like I realized I was, you know, actually pulling myself out of each moment in order to go back and forth and back and forth. And so I actually, at first, abandoned the present day story and wrote the whole past timeline, like the 1980s storyline from beginning to end. And then once I was done with that storyline, I went back to the, like the present day one and wrote that one from beginning to end. So I actually sometimes call it braiding because I realize I move my hands like that a lot when I talk about it. Um, but yeah. I kind of, like it became important to me because I do think, you know, the past constantly informs the present and there's so many things that there are characters who have, who hold secrets and carry them with them. And in many cases to even to the grave. And to me, I knew that the story wasn't necessarily about like the, the plot was not driven by when's the moment this secret will be revealed. I just was more interested in how does carrying a secret affect the, the way we interact with one another, you know, like and how does intergenerational trauma affect you know, your, your children and their children. And it became really important to me to, to, to at least be able to show those ways that the past is informing the present, even if the characters themselves don't know, but the reader needed to be able to know. And so that's yeah. kind of where I, why I ended up braiding those timelines in that way. And I'm glad you mentioned like what order you wrote the two in. We're always interested in what authors' writing processes are, and I did wonder if you alternated the the different perspectives as you were writing, or if you wrote them all together. So that's really cool. And one of the things we haven't mentioned is that you structure Isabel and Martin's narrative around the anniversary items 
that you're supposed oh, yeah. to traditionally that you're supposed to give. Mm-hmm. Uh, what inspired that part of it? I know it's already an anniversary, so it just makes sense to follow up with the traditional gift that goes with the anniversary. Yeah. Oh, I love that you noticed that because you know, it's funny. I've never been asked that question before. Um, yeah. And each chapter, like, <laughs> you know, one is paper, um, wait, paper. And how am I forgetting the second one? It's funny because I wrote this book like four years ago. Probably longer than that. Sometimes I forget details. And at first it kind of started out just more curiosity. And then I realized, oh, some of these things could actually work and be incorporated into the narrative. Um and I especially like, like the very last one is fruit and flowers. And that's like, it made so much sense at that point. But they're like, sometimes they're just small ways. They get dropped into the narrative in very small ways. And it was just another way to ground the story a little bit. Yeah. I thought that was really, I'd never seen a book structured that way. Uh, and I thought it made a lot of sense. You can also carry the theme throughout that section. And it also, because we have the different timelines and I think like the 1980s has a lot more perspectives and then the, the present one, it, it grounded, like it helped you have a signpost almost to where you were, to where you were in the present timeline. And I thought that was just really cool. Um, I've always found it fascinating how people have the different gifts for the different anniversaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I should probably look that up at some point. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, husband. I have not given you the proper gifts the last five years. Um, <laughs> My husband recently... Um, he he wanted so it's funny because our you know our anniversary is coming up since we were married on the day of the dead, and we're going to be married ten years this year, and um, it was really kind of cute because I I've recently been trying to track my steps, which is like for the most boring reason ever. Only I found out that my insurance company will give me like a hundred dollar Amazon gift card if I track an X amount of steps by the end of the year. Oh, it's wow. such a dorky <laughs> thing, you know. I'm like I will get all the books, <laughs> but I'm just doing it with the counter on my phone. And so finally he got, like, I guess he probably got tired of me, like, at, you know, 10 minutes to midnight running around the house. And so he was, he, he was like, look, I want to get you an Apple Watch for our anniversary. And I was like, no, no, sweetie, we're not doing big gifts. And he was like, no, 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 it's aluminum. That's what the 10 year is. I was like, oh, I can't say no to that now. I totally cheated. <laughs> I mean, he gets a point. Like, yeah. <laughs> <to> really... <laughs> wow, man. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're using my book against me, but not really against me because I got an Apple Watch out of it. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, if you twist my arm, I guess yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> When we read this book, obviously a lot of things were happening in the news. Um, and I feel like with you having the timeline in the 1980s, it points out that this story has been relevant for a very long time. And I feel like, unfortunately, it will still be very relevant relevant to current politics. Um, and I know you've had some, for lack of a better term, some interesting discussions on your book tour. Um, but did you have in mind that it would come up more during your book tour this year? Did you have any trepidations of knowing that you were going into this, going to be talking about different types of immigration and uh, the current climate that we are in in America, unfortunately? Mm, yeah. Um, so I started writing this book in 2013, and by the time I it sold, it was 2016. And so we kind of started to see at least I mean, the elections hadn't happened yet because this was earlier in the year that it sold. But, you know, certainly all of what Trump was doing was already in the news and how he was spreading his campaign. Uh, So there was, I guess, 
it seemed like there was heightened awareness, but for me, it didn't feel like it was anything new that was happening. And it just really felt like, oh, finally, it's not just us doing this. You know, it's almost like you feel like your entire, like your entire community has been gaslighted for like decades. Right. And then finally other people mm-hmm. are like, Oh my goodness, this is happening. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> it, you know, I mean, I laugh, but it's, Oh, it's been, yeah, it's been interesting. Um, because on the one hand, you know, I'm, I'm happy to talk about these things, obviously. Like for me though, I wrote this book out of trying to honor the stories and the experiences that I've seen all my life growing up and, um, and, and didn't feel that they were being seen in like this broader sense of the broader conversation around immigration. And by that, I mean, not just the struggles, but even just the joys. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know that like there were some really, there's a lot of moments in the book that are just about everyday interactions, like Enda and her children, you know, um, or even other characters and, and, in just very what other people might call mundane moments to me felt really important to include them because uh, it's not fair to only see people as victims or as people who are like suffering. If you're not also putting in perspective, you know, who they are as a whole and then who they are like in their full humanity. So that became really important to me. And so when I see the conversation that's taking place today, it's like, yes, it's heightened and a lot of the fear and the, the, the acts that are happening are much more overt, you know, and much, and, and much more horrible. But really the roots have always been there. And, mm-hmm. and it becomes frustrating to me when, when that's not seen, when it's like this, this kind of, this illusion of, well, if we get rid of this administration, we can, that will, like, that will fix the problem. When in fact, like our immigration system since its very first inception, actually, like the very first immigration law that the UN, that, that the United States ever put into place was called the Chinese Exclusion Act. Mm-hmm. So it was racist in its roots. Um, and, and I think that if people were to study the history of our immigration law, you would see the way by, that by design, it was intended to allow a certain group of people in and keep a certain group of people out. And so it, it very much, um, like there's a chapter in the book that talks about the amnesty program that happened in the eighties. And, you know, people toss that word around these days, at least people who are very anti-immigrant, um, they'll toss that word as if it's a bad word. And yet, you know, Reagan, and you know, he, he, he was the one who like, um, it was under his administration that amnesty last happened. And over the years, actually amnesty has happened several times. What's been interesting is that in earlier centuries, it actually mostly benefited Anglo and European immigrants. That's my very long winded way of saying (laughs) that, you know, I am, I mean, obviously I'm happy to talk about these things, but I, I want, I wish it could be a conversation that was more about being willing to not just see an entire group of people as victims in need of saving. I wish it could be a conversation where those who want to help are are willing to take an inward look at our own actions, our own country's actions, our own country's complicity over over history, and really realize that if we're going to change it at all, then we need to do that first. We need to really see, like, well, why do people leave their countries? And you would learn more about, like, 
you know, the United States intervention in several Central American countries that have led to the conditions that they're fleeing today, you know, um, and things like that. And, and until we do that, I'm not sure that we can have like this long-term solution. I like that you said about how you wanted to show not just the struggles, but like the everydayness of what immigrants are going through. And one of the perspectives that we see in this book is like how Omar, by bringing his family to America, how some of it has paid off and then like how some of the characters, but also like, you know, some of the characters in the book, um, they don't necessarily, it's not exactly the utopia that it was maybe presented to be, or like they had a lot more struggles or something like that. Um, so how did you decide to bat or how did you balance this tension between showing the joys and also like maybe the different challenges or how maybe things didn't turn out the way that they were expected to turn out? Um, I guess I think that that intersection or that intertwining for me, it came quite naturally because I think that's just how life happens. You know, that things will happen all at once. And you might, you, you could be having a really beautiful ordinary day and then something might happen or you might be reminded of something and then in comes sorrow, you know, um, they're always kind of existing like, and co- coexisting. And so like, to me, it just made sense. Like there, there are times where I maybe didn't know where a scene was going or where a chapter was going, but I was like, Hmm, let me just see what they're talking about. Like what happens when Enda calls her mom to say hello you know, and I wanted to hear that conversation because I wanted to know about that part of her life um, and then see where that goes. And the other thing that I guess drove that is, you know, the, the timeline in the 80s, it starts with a group of migrants and they're all essentially on the same journey. But, you know, then it's then, then their journeys kind of splinter off and they go in different directions. And so, yes, some of them maybe find a home and they find what I guess we try to call the American dream, but then others. Um, you know, others have different fates, and that kind of that really came out of my own experience of having grown up and seeing my parents trying to navigate the immigration system and realizing that it's really not this straight path. That it's not just as simple as saying a path to citizenship goes from point A to point B, and as long as you follow each step, you'll get there. Because the fact of the matter is it's it's like by design it's incredibly difficult and you can, you know, make one misstep and then it's like, oh, okay, well then you, there's no way go there's no way forward anymore. Um and not only that, but like in a lot of ways my family looking back I realized we had a lot of we had we were privileged to have a support system that enabled us to be able to come here even and to be able to even have navigated that system despite its struggles and its difficulties. Um, but there's people in my family, even, and people in my community who were who weren't privileged to have those same opportunities. And I, I, I remember, even as a young, like even as a child, thinking like that's fair because the only thing that separates me from them is just pure luck. And so a lot of the story really explores that. Like you know, they all started in the same place and time, but they intervened in different ways for each one of them, and in ways that maybe they didn't even they couldn't fully control. It wasn't always like it's a choice. Sometimes those choices are made for you. And that's one of the things I really appreciated about your book was that oftentimes, unfortunately, we 
discuss immigration and certain groups of people as monoliths. But with your story, your timeline of the migrants in the 1980s, they have their own, each one has a different story, a different perspective, a different experience. Some are traveling with children, some are not. I, I felt with them, with your writing, and I felt the anxiety of wondering if today would be the day that you know, people would show up and take, you know, my husband away or take, you know, take the family away. And I feel like you communicated that feeling so well and created that level of empathy through your writing. And you communicated that this is also humanity, that these people are, have their own lives and hopes and dreams, and we, they should be respected as equally human. And I think our system is just so difficult to immigrate to the United States. It favors the privileged and people who have money, and it doesn't really help people who genuinely need, you know, the the chance. And so I think you communicated all of those things throughout your book in such a balanced and clear way. Thank you. We really both really loved your book. And so we're going to have a few questions about some lighter questions um, before we let you go. So can do you want to ask the first question? Uh, yeah. So we've loved talking about your book with you. And when we have authors on the podcast, we always like to ask them what books that they would recommend, maybe on the topic of your book, or maybe just something that you've been reading lately. So do you have any books that you would like to recommend to us and our listeners? Oh, my goodness. Yes, I would love to. Um, Let's see. I'm trying to think of what I recently finished and I'm currently starting. So I recently finished a book called I'm Not Missing by Carrie Fountain. Uh, and, and Carrie Fountain is this beautiful poet who recently published her first YA novel. Um, and so I'm Not Missing is set in New Mexico and it's about, um, a, you know, a, a teenage girl and I think she's a junior and she gets stood up by her crush for prom and then, and then months later her best friend like just disappears and leaves a note that says I'm gone I'm not missing and so the book kind of explores you know the the the, the ways that this friendship kind of fell apart too but at the same time that maybe first love is happening and it's, it's just really beautifully done um, I'm always like really interested in things that in, in stories that tackle the dualities in life um, and, and, and this is definitely one of them. And I also just started reading The Caregiver by Samuel Park. Uh, he, so this is his second novel, and so Samuel Park's first novel is called This Burns My Heart, and it's, one, it's such a beautiful book. It's actually, like, I have this one, like, special bookshelf in my office that's, like, these are the books that have probably influenced me the most, and that's definitely on it. And um, back when his first book came out, I had interviewed him on my blog. <clears throat> and when this book came out, I started reading it, and I had flipped to the back and read, the, read his bio. And at first, I was like, why is this bio in past tense? And then by the time you get to the end of the bio, um, you realize, well, Daniel Park talked away soon after he turned in the last, like, this book to the publisher. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really heartbreaking to learn. And, and and this new book is just so beautiful. And I'm only like one or two chapters into it. And I've already been just, you know, marking pages and highlighting like just at, at both the language level and the way, like the depth of, of the characterizations. So one of my favorite books I read last year, or like not even last year, two months ago, 
what is called Exclusively Yours by Nadine Gonzalez. And she's a romance writer and she wrote this wonderful um, novel about, and it's set in Miami and it's about a real, uh, Miami, it's set in Miami and it's about a real estate agent there who falls in love with this really, really hot shot real estate agent. And I just, it has so much like, uh, somehow like the setting is also a character in this love story. So it's just, it's wonderful. And I, you know, I, I grew up, um, in Miami. So for me, I was just kind of like, Oh my God, I just love this so much. Um, I also recently, um, started reading everyday people, which is a collection of short stories edited by Jennifer Baker. And it's a collection of short stories by writers of color. And, um, and one of the really, like all of the stories are just absolutely wonderful. But one of the things I appreciate so much about, this book is that um, so originally Juno Diaz had been one of the contributors to this novel. And when, you know, things started coming out about, uh, you know, women who were coming out about their experiences with Juno and um, in terms of, uh, of sexual harassment, um, the, the editor, Jennifer Baker decided that she wanted to use, the pages in his story to highlight other women and non-binary writers of color. And so the book actually, when you flip to it, it has like 35 pages of just books and titles of other works written by women and non-binary writers of color, which is an incredible thing that they did to, um, to really use that space and, and, and center those who maybe need, who most need to be centered right now in this moment. That's really amazing. Well, we'll definitely be adding those to our lists for sure, um, our ever-growing book lists. Um, (laughs) But we also wanted to ask you, too, like, um, and are there any projects you're working on right now that you would like to share with us? Or you don't have to if you don't want to, but we're always interested to see, like, what's on the horizon. I do have a project on the horizon, and I am really excited to hopefully be able to share it soon. But I can only tease that much. <laughs> okay. But I will say, and like to totally just like plug my social media, though, I will absolutely be announcing something soon. So maybe, hopefully, I will be able to share it. But I'm very excited because um, it's, it's something that it, when when everyone has gone home, sold, it was like mid 2016. And uh, I don't, I, I usually take a little longer in between stories to think of another story or to be that inspired. But I started writing a new book maybe within a few weeks of of that book um, selling. And so I've just been kind of slowly working, like, well, not slowly, but, you know, I'm working on it all this time, even with the book tour going on and everything. And every time, and it's been such a wonderful thing to um, to have that to go back to because book, you know, I've had a really busy year and I've been traveling a lot for this book and it's been wonderful. You know, it's also for me ultimately about the writing. And so, that I managed to keep writing like on airplanes and in the mornings and all that, like was probably like the biggest joy of this whole year for me um, in terms of my writing life. So hopefully I can share that book soon (laughs) or news about it soon. Well, awesome. We will definitely keep our eyes out for that (laughs) because we are very excited and I already have plans to pick up your uh, debut um, in the near future, I found it on I, I found it on audio, and it was on a deal, and I was very excited. <laughs> oh, how cool! 
that's awesome. I love the audiobook. I, I got very lucky with the narrator. So, yes, yes, I did the audiobook for Everyone Knows You Go Home. Um, and I just, I, I loved it. I thought it was a joy. So, oh, I'm so glad. Well, thank you so much, Natalia, for coming to talk to us about Everyone Knows You Go Home. We really enjoyed getting to talk to you. Thank you. I so loved talking to you all. And thank you for having me. So it's great to talk to Natalia. She was so great to talk to about her process and the story that she's written. Yes, for sure. We are really so appreciative that she came and talked to us. And I love learning about her writing process and kind of how the story came about. Really interesting, especially since the story has alternating narrative lines. That is such an amazing part of the book. And I'm also really excited for what she has coming up. And I will definitely be stalking her social media and waiting for that announcement. And I'm definitely going to be going and finding her backlist. So that is our show. We would like to say thank you to Natalia Sylvester for talking to us about Everyone Knows You Go Home. It is out now by Little A Publishers. Definitely add it to your Christmas list and buy it for everyone you know. You can find her on her website, nataliasylvester.com. And she is also on Twitter and Instagram at nataliasylv. And we will have that linked in our show notes so that way you can easily find her and her new book announcement. As for us, you can find Reading Women on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. You can find Kendra at Katie Winchester and me at Autumn Privet. You can also find us at readingwomenpodcast.com where we have past episodes, author Q&As, book lists, and more. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will talk to you soon.